Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. And it is a heavy one today, my friends, because we are going to talk about the reality of a place called hell. This is a subject that many people are uncomfortable with, and so often pastors and church leaders just don't want to talk about it. We ignore it, we hem and haw about it, we make excuses, and we may even try to make it seem not quite as bad as it is. But yet today, today, thousands of people in the world will take their last breath And they will do so without having placed their trust in Jesus to be the bearer of their sin. And they will enter in to this terrible place called hell. So we have to confront the reality of this. And that's what we're going to do today. And that's why I am so privileged to have Greg Strand on as my guest on the podcast today to help us navigate this very terrifying and yet vital subject. So Greg Strand is the executive director of theology and credentialing for the Evangelical Free Church of America, where he also serves on the board of ministerial standing as well as the spiritual heritage committee. And so there is nobody better in my mind to have on to talk about this with us. And so Greg, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Tim, thank you. Uh, way, way overstated uh, the introduction there. Uh, not about the topic we're addressing, but the person addressing the topic. But uh, you're kind. Thank you. Well, we are grateful to have you. And as we as we start off on this, you know, it's my understanding, and I could be wrong, it's my understanding that the Evangelical Free Church of America was founded by people who had a sense of urgency to win people to Christ due to a sincere belief, both in the return of Christ that it was that he was coming any moment and the reality of a place called hell how much prominence uh, and I want to talk about this and you can certainly jump in with any other thoughts in, 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 from an introductory standpoint first but I want to ask you how much prominence should this doctrine should this belief about hell that we have sh- how much should it take place in our churches like where should it stand uh, great question Um it, it, you know, it. I, I don't believe that it ought to be at the forefront, but it needs to be part of the narrative. That is to say, what's at the forefront is God, His glory, His grace, His His holiness, His righteousness, uh, His love, uh, etc. But but it cannot be denied. Uh, and today, uh, all too often, what happens, Tim, is. That, that people will pit one attribute of God against another. And, and, and in a moment, we're going to talk about the statement of faith, and we're going to look specifically at Article 10, in which the expression eternal conscious punishment happens, occurs, which has been the free church position, but it's been the church's position. Um, and, I, and I'll say a moment about that uh, um, in just a moment, uh, when we look at maybe some of the, the 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 step back a moment and look at you know how we got here and what is the official or or church's position on this matter, but it does matter, Tim, and it's not an either or; it's a both and. It it is a matter of of uh, the need for people to hear Christ. There's no other name given among men by 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 whom we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14.6. Absolutely. And, and in our statement of faith, you'll notice we use the term only a number of times. But the other reality is, if they do not hear 
and respond and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a Christless eternity apart from God. And that, that is a reality, and, 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 and that, that was a, a, a motivator for sure. And the reason is because of love for God and love for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's what I, I, why I want to focus on this today. You know, we had the theology conference a couple years ago where D.A. Carson spoke about hell. And I remember being in the audience there. And, you know, my big joke was at the end, I'm like, if he would have offered an altar call, like I would have gone down all over again. And, and that was yes. a joke because obviously, you know, I don't believe. But, but I remember just being set back in my chair. And it was so good for me to sit there and listen to him describe in such detail what the scripture says about this place. And it focused my thinking and it clarified so much for me, as hard as it was. And that's why I think we need to spend time talking about this. And that's why I would I would love for you to walk us through. You know, you said, well, how, how we got here. Yeah. Now, yeah. you're referring to how we got to what we believe now in our statement of faith regarding hell? Yeah, well, not not us per se, but how we got to this moment. Okay. In, in, in other words, Tim, here's what I'm thinking. You know, in... In, in our contemporary day, uh, in which uh, questions are raised uh, regarding eternal conscious punishment, or in some cases, uh, questioning, undermining, or, or, or even outright denying, um, how, was, how is it we got here? Because here's the catch. It's important to note that this was affirmation of the doctrine of eternal conscious punishment was the view of the church. It was the view of the church until about the 19th century when Friedrich Schleiermacher, the father of modern theology, there's a a giveaway, the father of modern theology turned religion inward and subjective rather than external and objective. And the doctrine of eternal conscious punishment it has been one of those doctrines most affected by this shift. It is also important uh, to, to know that even though uh, views other than eternal conscious punishment were embraced by a few, it was not considered acceptable. The view was denied, and, and the biblical and traditional view of eternal conscious punishment was upheld. Here's an interesting uh, statement made by Richard Bauckham in, in, in an article a number of years ago that, that uh, summarizes the, the view of the church. And, and I'm going to quote. He writes, almost all Christian theologians taught the reality of eternal torment in hell. Here and there, outside the theological mainstream, were some who believed that the wicked would be finally annihilated. Even fewer were the advocates of universal salvation, though these few included some major theologians of the early church. Eternal punishment was firmly asserted in official creeds and confessions of the churches. It must have seemed as indispensable a part of the universal Christian belief as the doctrines of the Trinity and the Incarnation. Since 1800, this situation has entirely changed, and no traditional Christian doctrine has been so widely abandoned as that of eternal punishment. End quote. Now, let me ask you, Brother Tim, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think that is one of the things that is at issue for us today, and that's one of the reasons that we're talking about this. I would suspect is that because to stare at it in its face, these, this phrase, eternal 
conscious punishment is so harrowing and terrifying and so hard to wrap our minds around that we we have an emotional visceral reaction to it and abhorrence of it and we don't and so we have to say there must be something else there must be another option you know in many ways tim it's it's almost it's almost like we are more compassionate than god isn't it i mean Mm. it's almost as if we almost have to apologize for god the other thing tim i think you know as i as i ponder this often um it, it seems like the historic the biblical and historic doctrine of hell stands for everything the contemporary culture rejects that God's love is not sentimental, but interconnected to his holiness, his justice, that humans are universally guilty and pervasively sinful and corrupt, that Jesus is the only substitute and representative and sacrifice for human sin, that faith in Christ is the only means to receive the benefits of his saving work, and that God's ultimate victory does not mean the elimination of all sin from the universe, but the fitting and appropriate and final punishment of it. Yeah, and and one of the things, and I think what you're driving at is, so people understand, is the concern that you have is a growing I guess, warming up to or acceptance of an alternate view of eternal conscious punishment, which we would refer to as annihilationism. Yes. Let's, so let's dive into that a little bit. And then I have specific questions about this place called hell, but, that, but that's an alternate view that's gaining ground. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it's gaining ground right now? Yeah, I, I would say this, that I think what's happening as helpful as various views, books published by a number of authors, uh, I know IVP has done some and Zondervan has done some, and some are extremely helpful. In fact, the first Zondervan Counterpoint series book was a book derived out of one of our theology conferences in 1981, uh, and it was on various views of the tribulation. So as helpful as some of those books are, I think there's there's there are some ways in which they're not helpful. And the reason for that is because when you're addressing, say, for example, uh, some issues, evangelical theology does not give a spectrum here. And when, when it's done in a multiple views format, it's like all views are acceptable, whether it's the on uh, the issue of um, homosexuality or or the issue of I think eternal conscious punishment and 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 so in that respect it's not helpful some of what's happening is um, those who would would claim to be evangelicals is that they are they are more agnostic about the eternal conscious punishment view and and what they are asking for it seems to me is that that some view other than eternal conscious punishment, ought to be considered an acceptable option of belief for evangelicals. So they're not necessarily outright, at least on the inner, uh, the first concentric circle, second concentric circle, Tim, they're not outright denying eternal conscious punishment, though some are. But some are just simply saying, they're softening it by saying, I don't think it should be the exclusive view. I think we ought to open the door for at least providing an alternative. Let's, let's at least claim agnosticism on some of these, but, it, but, but let's provide it as, as a viable option. 
And I would say this, what you observe then is there's a shifting of the discussion by simply making it an option. It's one of the ways, brother, I think that the church experiences a regress of doctrine. And this is, I think, one of the initial steps toward an eventual denial of the view of eternal conscious punishment. That's why it's of concern to me. And and I think it's important to talk about this. So it is of concern to you. Are there those who are in EFCA or related to EFCA that is it you think it's a concern for them as well? And what would you say to those who see this kind of stuff like the Four Views books or these other you know articles or things or this shift that you're talking about? What would you say to those who are concerned about annihilationism or conditionalism becoming something that EFCA would at some point accept? That's a great question. And, and in fact, uh, uh, brother, you, you will remember that, that uh, you know, some raised the question or the concern uh, when we uh, carried on the Statement of Faith revision from 2017 to 2019. Uh, we had the privilege of uh, having uh, 23 different Q&As throughout the nation, uh, different districts. And, and, uh, and, and one of the concerns was if we do this with um, premillennialism, an eschatological statement, what what happens with the final um, eschatological statement regarding eternal conscious punishment? And the concern was, so we remove premillennialism, the next one is eternal conscious punishment. And my, my response to that was, was this. That is, the very reason for which we recommended and did then the conference did approve removing premillennialism is the very reason for which we would retain strongly eternal conscious punishment that is it's a biblical doctrine and it is the it is the the, the position historically when you look at 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 uh, historical theology it is it is the view it is the acceptable view it is the it is the it is the the, the view of the church and and whereas premillennialism had not been the predominant view from the 4th century to really almost the 17th century. Um, uh, um, uh, and so there, there were uh, other expressions of the millennial position, whereas eternal conscious punishment, it's not been that way. It just simply hasn't been that way. So, so the Bible alone is the supreme magisterial authority. Historical theology plays a ministerial role. And in that ministerial role, in other words, I look at I look at historical theology, Tim, as the longest and the broadest commentary on the Bible. It's not the Bible, but it is a commentary on the Bible, and and it's the longest. That is two thousand years, and it's the broadest in that in that it's a commentary from the Church Universal that plays a ministerial role to the magisterial role of the authority of the Bible, and in that respect. You you can't you can't deny that this has been the the view of of the church for two thousand years. And there is something you know when you when you get into it, and I know the the attractiveness of it is this idea, like you said before, that because the the eternality of it is is what is so problematic for people. Um, but I've I've thought, and I, I heard this a long time ago, and I, I would love your comments on this. To me, it's all in a weird way. It almost seems um, more dreadful and awful and horrible 
to consider your soul to be extinguished and to cease to exist like that. I don't see how that's like somehow comforting or better or even, I don't, am I, am I wrong about that? It's just, that that's never sat well with me either. That thought. Right. Um, and I would agree with that uh, in many respects, it, um, it destroys the, the imago Dei, uh, or the reason or the purpose for which God created us. Right. And, and, um, for that ceasing to exist, um, it, it's, um, it, it doesn't, as Anselm said, Tim, that, that when we look at alternatives to eternal conscious punishment or eternal blessedness with the Lord, right? That's the other. But when you look at the eternal conscious punishment, um, and we, we then wrestle with how do you put together the holiness of God or the love of God, etc., Anselm answered the question, you have not yet considered the seriousness of sin. Mm. Because one of the other uh, uh, questions that one would raise is, well, how in, how in the world is it fair if you commit a temporal sin and then have to suffer eternal consequences for that temporal sin? Anselm answers, you have not yet considered the seriousness of God mm-hmm. or the seriousness of sin against, uh, yeah, the, I'm sorry, the seriousness of sin against God. And think in our modern enlightened progressive thinking we sometimes try to outthink god and so what happens then is our own reason trumps revelation which is the problem with the enlightenment project the way i learned about it a long time ago and again i know there's all kinds of scripture references that we could and should point to but it the part of the issue was that it's, it's one thing, like if you were to take a life, you know, if you were to like uh, to kill a bug or something like that, that's one thing. And if you, but if you were to shoot a dog, that's like of a higher order. So there might be a consequence there. If you murder a human being, then you might actually get the, you know, get the electric chair and, but, but in, or the, whatever the execution method is, but in all of those cases, the, the offense is still the same, but the one that was offended is of a higher order. So if you take that to an infinite God, now you're looking at sin against an infinite God, and and you're, what you're kind of saying is, you know, is there a how could there be a temporal punishment yes. against an infinite for an offense committed yeah. against an infinite being? Yep, yep. But so I always heard that. But then at the same time, then when when uh, Carson was talking at theology conference, and this is what I'd love to get your thoughts on as well, um, he was saying that it's not that you're going to get punished for three billion years plus for something that you did over the course of 40 or 50 or, you know, 80, hundred years of your life. It's that in hell, you will continue to sin yeah. and continue yeah. to be punished for that sin. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think, um, and I remember that as well, Tim. Uh, and I remember reading that uh, from Don Carson and others, but, but if, if you look at, uh, say, for example, uh, Revelation, uh, and let me just think of three different texts of Scripture, Revelation 6, 15 to 17, Revelation 9, uh, verses 6 and 20 and 21, and then Revelation 16, verses 8 through 11 and verse 21. In essence, these Scripture texts teach that those in hell remain unrepentant. So, for, for example, um, 
what what you find is, uh, say, for example, in Revelation 9, uh, and, and in, in, in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. That's just one example. Um, rather than repenting, what they would do is they would call to the mountains and the rocks, Revelation 6, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So you see, rather than, than, than leading to repentance, they, 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 in a sense, remain defiant. They, they continue to shake their fists. They continue to, like, like Adam and Eve in the garden, to clothe themselves from the punishment of God and address it themselves rather than rather than repent. And so here's the statement uh, that you may have heard. This comes from D.A. Carson. He writes, and I quote, in some ways, the terrible words of Revelation 16 verses 9 and 11 explain something of hell itself. Hell is not filled with people who have learned their lesson. In other words, there will be no repentance in hell. There will be no remorse in hell. Mm. It is filled with people who still refuse to repent. Like those who suffer from these plagues, they suffer and curse God because of their suffering. But they refuse to repent of what they have done. That is what hell is like. An ongoing cycle of sin, rebellion, judgment, sin, rebellion, judgment, world without end. End quote. It's just harrowing. I mean, it it's and I think it's important because in our minds we often I, at least I would imagine that you would think that there'd be people in hell going like like, oh, please, can I do anything right. to get out of here? I'm so right. sorry. I'm so sorry. And we think, well, that's terrible. I mean, this person, like after an, enough time, I mean, don't you think? Yeah. Like, you know, like you said, like they haven't learned, they haven't learned their no. lesson. And they will not. And and that that's, so so even, even that theoretical possibility, Tim, the biblical witness speaks against the theoretical possibility because they won't. So there is no choice then other than to say that if, if you don't want to, if that understanding is, if it's too hard for you, then your only other choice is some kind of just extinguishing. But what's mm -hmm. interesting is I know, I, 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 and I haven't read this, but I know some people have said like, well, gosh, I mean, you know, the idea of someone being punished 3 million years from now for something they did today, that's erroneous. They're not being punished for something necessarily that they did today. They're being yeah, punished for something right. they did five minutes on, before. Yeah, on, 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 ongoingly. Now, now the, the state, the state of that individual is determined in this life. And that's no different, uh, you know, f for either one, right? Eternal, eternal blessedness with the Lord or eternal conscious punishment uh, away from the Lord. But the other thing to bear in mind is this, Tim, and that is, Will those in the eternal blessed state with the Lord, is there is there a possibility that they will apostatize? Or is their state fixed as well? Well, you, you, right. You, it's the whole not able to sin or able not exactly. to sin. Exactly. Both states are fixed. 
Um, and 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 in the in the new heavens and the new earth, one will go from glory to glory, right? Um, whereas whereas in the in in the eternal conscious punishment or hell, that it'll 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 be a recurring uh, a cycle, as as we uh, read, a uh, recurring cycle of sin and rebellion and judgment on unendingly. The other part that was interesting to me, and I was reading, and I know that Carson um, recommended this book, uh, How Could a Loving God Send Anyone to Hell by Benjamin Skagg, I think is his name. And, and I was reading through that, and one of the things he made the point of, and I never thought of it this way, is because I always thought, you know, obviously we get resurrection bodies just like Jesus yeah. had a resurrection mm-hmm. body, but it didn't hit me that those in hell will also have resurrection bodies. Yes, that's exa- yes, they will. Yes, they will. We're, we are, we are all raised. In fact, in fact, if if you look, um, in fact, I'd like to look at our statement of faith in just a moment, if if we could, Tim. But mm-hmm. but if you look at our statement of faith, we acknowledge we acknowledge that there will be a a resurrection of the dead, a, a bodily. There will be a bodily resurrection of the dead. That's everybody. That's believer and unbeliever. There will be a resurrection, and it's bodily. Now. Now, once that is done, then what we say is that there, there, that that um, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily, believer on believer, everybody, no exception, and judge the world. So there's going to be a judgment. Everybody's going to be judged. Think of Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten, that even believers will appear before the bema seat or the judgment seat of God. Everybody. Now, the the verdict is going to be different, but but everybody is raised bodily and 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 god will judge the world and then here's here's then the two ways assigning the believer to condemnation so in other words here they are god the judge raises and then he judges and and on the one hand he he judges and condemns and then the result of that condemnation is eternal conscious punishment on the other hand, he will raise bodily and judge, and, and this will be the believer, and rather than condemnation and eternal judge, uh, condemnation, he, the believer is eternal blessedness. It's justified, and it's eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. So we even recognize that there's a resurrection of all bodily resurrection and then there's a judgment of all but then that's where it goes different directions is there a so obviously with the reason why it's important to to affirm the the physicality of the resurrection for both believer and unbeliever is then that does bring into view when we talk about hell a, a physical aspect to yes, the it punishment does. itself. It does. Right? Because a lot of people say, well, you know, it, maybe it's just a, like I've heard the pun- punishment's really more of like a, like a remorse or a regret, or it's mm-hmm. just like an internal or maybe even just like a spiritual thing where it's not going to, there isn't going to be a physical destruction involved, but, but you're saying that there is. Yes. Yes, there is. Um, and, and it's, and it's, um, you know, I would say a couple of things. Uh, number one, I would say that we affirm a, a uh, uh, sorry, we'll use uh, an expression, an- anthropological uh, expression of holistic dualism. That is to say, we we are holistic. We're a holistic 
being, but we're a holistic being that consists of a body slash soul spirit. Um, and and there is, uh, when we die, before the return of Christ, before our our bodies and souls are separated, which is an unusual state, and Paul would say it's possible, but, but it's a naked state, it's not a final state, um, but it can exist apart from the body. Um, and, and there's some denial of that now as well, known as materialists. Um, and that's a problem. That's maybe another <laughs> podcast. But, but I would say yes, Tim. And I would say that, that the reason the physicality, the bodily, why it's so important to, to affirm is because that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God back in Genesis chapter one. Mm-hmm. That's part of what it means to be a human being of body, body, physicality, f- f- flesh e, mm-hmm. flesh e. Um, and soul slash spirit. And so, yes, it and, and, and the continuing of that goes on in both directions, either blessedness or eternal conscious punishment. We learned that is uh, what they called modified dichotomist. So it wasn't a trichotomist, but it was like you're a body and a spirit, and that together makes you a soul. So the idea was that without your body, you're really not complete and it it does hedge against the idea that you can be you without a physical body in your completion yes yeah and i think that's important because when it does come to both on the other side with heaven you know the 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 experience of being in a body which is what we were made for which is part of our whole you know are the fact that we have dignity made in the image of god and all like the imago day but there is that other side of it too so we will be granted that dignity of yes. being that whole person but yet in a place of of judgment for our conscious for our decisions and we will be conscious of it yeah you know tim uh, i agree absolutely L- let me just give some expression to that that is that is if if there are a number of issues, it seems to me, brother, that, that are adversely affected or infected by a denial of eternal conscious punishment. Let me list some dangers. Number one, we end up with a different view of God, which is the chief sin, and breaks the first and second commandments, namely no other gods and no, and no idols, which gets to the heart of creating a different God. Secondly, we end up with a different view of sin such that the effects of sin are limited in its consequences. So even though the results will be eternal, namely one ceases to exist, it profoundly changes the understanding of and the incredible gravity of sin, both its consequence and its duration, all which is conscious. Third, we end up with a different view of Christ, such that his work is applied to one who believes in eternal conscious blessedness, while those who do not believe cease to exist. Whereas one's response to Christ results in eternal conscious implications. Fourth, we end up with a different view of anthropology, what we just talked about, and how we see people. Fifth, we end up with a different view of evangelism, mission, and eschatology. And finally, we end up with a different view of the Bible. And so, so Tim, the, these have sig- this this discussion. The, the this has significant implications for all of these critical doctrines uh, that that uh, are essential to our affirmation of the scriptures. And that is why this needs to be dredged. This doctrine needs to be, uh, we need to go deep into its implications because I think it does have 
it, it needs to result in an evangelistic impulse yes. because we need to see it for what it is. So yes. when a person dies on this planet without placing their hope and faith in Christ, they are, they are, they are, it's fixed. Like you said, it is fixed their eternal destiny and where they will be a continuation of sin and, but, and judgment and punishment, like you said, ongoing forever and ever and ever. I can't wrap my mind around that, but I, that's not my job to wrap my mind around it. I need to kind of be in awe of it and in yes. some sense a, a, a righteous kind of or holy kind of terror of the whole thing, right? Yes. Uh, I would I would agree. Um, you know, the thing the thing that I think would be helpful for us to, to bear in mind um, is um, so when we think about about this, I think for those of us in 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 the free church anyway, um, there are a couple of, of, of thoughts. Um, you know, one one would be this. Um, how does one you know, we talked early on, you know, how did we get to this moment, this contemporary culture, uh, day, day, uh, present day culture, and, and, and sort of the questions that are being raised about it. But here's another thing that, that I think would be helpful, Tim, for us and our pastors to ponder and our leaders to ponder. And that is, how is it that, that one, in a sense, slides into liberal theology? How, how does it happen? Let's think about that. Step back. And, you know, the, it, one has described it in this way, and I, I found it helpful. First, a doctrine simply falls from mention. That is, we, we don't talk about it. You know, it's sort of uh, maybe it's an embarrassment. Maybe it's it's something that, you know, we want to speak more softly or we speak it and then duck. You know what I'm saying? Or we speak it and then we make all the caveats and, and concessions. That's that's an indicator. Secondly, a doctrine is revised and retained in reduced form. So, so you know, rather than God, rather than hell being God's a- a- active punishment, we sort of soften it by saying, "Well, it's it, it's passive. Pe- people people choose to go there themselves, and and God is removed from the, the 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 process, right? So, so we will soften it some some ways in that way. Third, a doctrine is sub- subjected to a form of ridicule. In other words, um, you know what? The hellfire brimstone preacher, he, he's bad. He's bad. I'm not that, right? Or, or, or something else like that. And finally, a doctrine is reformulated in order to remove its intellectual and moral offensiveness. And, and, and so, Tim, these things I think we need to consider and ponder. You know what I suggest is, you know what? In our preaching and teaching, let's, let's every two months, maybe every quarter, Pull a systematic theology textbook off our shelf and look at the table of contents and say, what has not been mentioned in my preaching in an illustration or, or that I've referenced or that I've mentioned? What, what have I avoided? What, what have I, what have I um, and sometimes intentionally, maybe sometimes unintentionally, but what is it that the people of God need to hear in order for me to faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of God? Absolutely. And you talked about this four-step process. You said it's it starts with you stop talking about it, then you soften the doctrine itself to make it more yes. of a passive versus an active. Yeah. Um, revised, th- revised, yeah. You yeah, revise reduce. it, revise it, right, right. 
And then the third thing is that you you ridicule it and you because yeah. by by taking it to its extreme and say all oh, these people these the hellfire and brimstone crowd and then lastly it's then reformulated into something more palatable for the average yeah. person. Yes. And you know I remember um, again back in seminary and one of the things that it was like one of those rabbit trails which is why I love the in person. I mean I think online's great but sometimes it's so great to be in person because the professor can just say things in person. And I remember some of those were the best things I got at a seminary. But I remember one professor who was talking about this and said, you know, if you don't, if you don't want anything to do with God now, why, why do you think you would ever want to be around God for all of eternity? I mean, heaven is a place where you can't get away from God. Hell, hell, you know, he he said, he said, if you, if you don't want God now, you'd be, you'd be kicking and screaming to get out of heaven. It'd be the last place you'd want. Not that you want to go to hell, but there's nothing in heaven that's attractive to you. And I took that line and I use that so many times in my Mm -hmm. preaching because that to me is inarguable. And it, and it's like, if I can say that, then the person goes, huh, I never thought about that. And it, and it makes it that much easier for me then to say, okay, well now given that, yeah. Let's look at our alternative. I mean, you you can't dictate what it's going to be like. You didn't invent it. It's not yours to invent. This yep. is what it is. And yet, yeah. logically helping them understand. Well, yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. You know, if I want yeah. if I if I want nothing to do with God or anything He's made beautiful or good or to obey Him in any way now, why would I all of a sudden change my mind? Yeah, yeah. For for me, yeah, you're exactly right. The expression I heard was, uh, for for uh, unbelievers, heaven would actually be hell. Hmm. Yeah. And, and you can say that. I think you can say that in a way that people go, huh? And then, and then you still have to deal with the, I think, walking people through the reality of this, of this conscious punishment, which is what we're trying to do by making it saying, and isn't it true sometimes, Greg, that like, you know, this, the, the truth might be hard, but the alternative is, is in a sense worse or harder to yes. believe. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I, I would, I would agree. Um, I would agree. Um, you know, there, there's, um, yeah, there, there's, you know, there's so many things that we could talk about on this one. You know, you know, one of the questions is this, um, if I may, Tim, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to hijack, uh, no. what you're doing, but, but, but say for example, a thought. Um, so I've heard it said that, that, that there will be grief in heaven over those that may not be there. Right. Well, I mean, how do you respond to that? Um, I, you know, I think of a couple of things that would be worthwhile for us to consider. I mean, think about um, think about Revelation 19. After the after the declaration of judgment against Babylon, right? And and in, in the book of Revelation, Babylon stands for those defiant against God, right? And here's the final judgment against Babylon. And this is what is heard from the great multitude in heaven. This is now after judgment. Hallelujah. What? That, that, that's Revelation 19.1. After, after God, God in his perfect holiness and love, there's, there's, there's this declaration, uh, the punishment, the judgment. Hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and and he has avenged the blood of the bondservants on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah. 
her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And the voice from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the, the voice of a great multitude and, and like the sound of many waters and the sound like, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Brother, that, that, that's, that's the song that the redeemed will be singing for eternity because of, of the judgment of God. That is salvation and glory come, and his judgment is true and righteous. Oh, there's so much more that could be said about that, but but that that's part of the reality. Um, those in heaven praise God when they see his judgments against even evil, and he will be praised for fulfilling his role as the perfect judge. And the other thing to bear in mind is this: God's greatest glory is not his perfect righteousness. Or his wrath against sin, it's his grace. Mm -hmm. The grace, Jesus, as the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his nature, displayed for all to see on the cross. And that, um, that picture that you read out of Revelation... Yes. is I think we lose track too oh, so much because we live we live in a place and yes there are certainly a lot of injustices and sins and everything else that are committed but there are atrocities that have been committed families broken apart yep. unspeakable things that have happened and and a lot of times even perpetrated by you know governments or or real authorities you know real real fixed authorities in, in the in a in a in a mortal sense, in a, in a, you know, like in a country or whatever else. And there's people whose worldview is always like, there's this evil authority that's always oppressing me and, and has, and has, they've seen all these things happen. And the fact that there will finally be, if finally a God who rightly judges things and who, who, whose judgment can be relied on does bring a sense of victory. And I know, I know that actually Skag talked about that in his book as well. He talked about some court case where some guy, um, had molested a whole bunch of girls and, and, yeah. and, the, and the, the, he was found like he was sentenced to like multiple life terms or whatever. And the, the courtroom erupted in, in, um, you know, celebration because they saw that justice was done, even though many of them weren't necessarily personally affected by it, but yeah. they saw justice was done and it brought this, it just brought a sense of like praise and yes. Right. Yeah. And that's what happens. Yes. yes. And, and that's a temporal sense, right? And this, this is, mm -hmm. this is a neutral sense. And I, I think we recognized him, you know, we are, we are limited in our perspectives, but but that's why we are submitting ourselves not to reason, but to revelation, what God has said. And there's a whole lot more that, that I could have said about that. J.I. Packer has a wonderful quote, um, you know, responding to this issue, which I will not I will not share. But I would say this, that there's a whole lot more that I have that if that if someone that's listening to the to the podcast, brother, if they want more uh, in, you know, uh, information or resources or whatever, I would be delighted to ha have them reach out to me and I'll be glad to to uh, interact with them. Well, that's why you're here. And that's why I want, I want to have these conversations with you because you are dealing with this stuff every day and you are a huge resource to us. I want to get into a couple of other things just because I want to make sure we don't, 
that because this is our time and this is my time to this is our time listening to you speak on these things. So let me just throw a couple of thoughts. Well, first of all, the one of the thought I want to make sure that we got to was going back to the idea of this eternality of, yeah. of judgment. How how can something be destroyed? Like we talk about the wicked being destroyed and even That's the physical. Yeah. Well, how can it be destroyed without being like obliterated or annihilated? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one of those things where, you know, I think, I think, you know, we need to recognize uh, language and metaphorical language. Uh, and, and, and let me say this, metaphorical language does not necessarily mean it's figurative. Metaphorical language is a metaphor that dis- that describes something that 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 it that is real when we're talking about biblical language now. And and often what happens is when you are attempting to describe the unknown, the unexperienced. You have to use a known to describe an unknown. So, so this is why, you know, how in the world can, can, can hell be utter darkness and yet fire? Well, it's describing metaphorically what we know to describe a reality that we, that we don't know or have not experienced. And brother, let me say this, that, that the same is done with the eternal, the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal blessedness with the Lord. And, and, and on the other side, eternal conscious punishment. And the descriptions of both of those uh, realities, they are, they are realities that what, what, what the biblical writers have done is they use the known to describe the unknown. And the reality of either of those is a whole lot either better and far surpasses the eternal blessedness with the Lord. But on the other hand, it far surpasses the the, the atrocity and the and the the the, the, the incredible um, uh, negative of the eternal conscious punishment in other words it's it's a whole lot worse than what's even described or explained in the scriptures so I think I think it's important for us to understand that 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 the metaphors are not speaking of something figurative it's speaking of something true and truly true. But, but it's using the known to explain or articulate the unknown that's either better or worse than what is even actually articulated. So that's the first thing to bear in mind. Now, the second thing, let me, let me to answer your question about what does it mean to, to then be destroyed? What does destruction mean? Doesn't destruction mean it, it just ceases to exist? Let me quote from Doug Moo that I have I found extremely helpful. And we, we, we referenced him in our evangelical convictions on this matter. Here's what he writes, and I quote, What is the nature of the judgment that they suffer? The words need not mean destruction in the sense of extinction. In fact, leaving aside for the moment judgment texts, none of the key terms usually has this meaning in the Old and New Testaments. Rather, they usually refer to the situation of a person or object that has lost the essence of its nature or function. In other words, these key terms appear to be used in general, much like we use the word destroy in this sentence. The tornado destroyed the house. The component parts of the house did not cease to exist, but the entity house, a structure that provides shelter for human beings, ceased to exist. We conclude, this is Doug Moose still writing, that annihilationalism finds no clear support in the teaching of Paul 
And then indeed the language of 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 and 9, not to mention other passages, tends to undercut the notion. The wicked, Paul suggests, do not simply cease to exist. They undergo eternal ruin, punishment, and exclusion from God's presence as long as the new age shall last. You know, brother, when I read that years ago, it really made sense to me. Uh, and so the destruction language is not dis destroy such that one ceases to exist, but its primary purpose of created to worship and glorify God will not be realized. But but it's but the existence persists. It, it, it continues on. So in that sense, it's destruction. Yeah, and again, I love how you said that these metaphors are just constructs that that we can understand to explain things that are just beyond our scope of of understanding in you know with, in terms yes. of what's actually happening. Yes, I remember when I first got married. I was we were married for like six weeks, and I was on a jet ski out in, in a lake, and I fell off in my wedding ring because my the water was cold and my my hands shrunk and my wedding ring slipped off. And it was right by the shore, and I think, and a bunch of our, I was a junior high pastor, and a bunch of junior high kids were helping me try to find the ring, and, and you know, and, and they just couldn't find it. I mean, it was kind of a heavy ring, and it just sank into the, into the bottom. And I, I, I've heard, you know, the idea of just the, the idea of being lost, you know, forever lost. And what what's striking to me is the idea that my ring is gone forever. It will never ever be found. Mm -hmm. It is at the bottom of a lake, but it is still there. Yeah. And it is still intact in a sense, like it still exists and yet it will never be found. And like, that's, that was a scary thought to me to think about like that again is another metaphor of this idea yes. that like you're, you, there is no coming back from this. Yes, that's right. Yep. I, I, I agree. And, and your illustration um, is another depiction of what, uh, what Doug Moo spelled out uh, in uh, and, and by the way, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we may look at at the end, and that is uh, the notion of um, uh, potential resources. But uh, with Doug Moo, that comes uh, in a book entitled Hell Under, Fighter, Hell Under Fire, Modern Scholarship Reinvents Eternal Punishment. Um, uh, and uh, it's a quite, quite a helpful book with a number of helpful essays. Well, let me throw a few more questions at you real quick, and then we can get to those resources and any other kind of concluding thoughts. But just how much awareness will a person in hell have of the finality of their state? I mean, what, what, what do you, how, I mean, maybe this is a little bit speculative, but this is kind of just based on your understanding of scripture and what you've read. What is their mental psychological state? Will there be a D I think I read Alcorn talked about kind of like how over time they will just kind of lose who they are. I mean, not that they'll be annihilated, but they'll, they'll, everything that was good or, 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 um, good about them will kind of deteriorate. But I mean, what do you think, in terms of the level of alertness or awareness will a, will a person have? How will that work, do you think? I think to some degree there's the parallel between what, what will happen in the new heavens and the new earth, though the, the, the contrast. And so there's, there's uh, whether there's uh, increasing awareness or not, I, uh, uh, so in other words, is, the, is there, uh, and, and you're right, I mean, this, this we end up now in speculative theology, um, you know, it, it, there, there isn't a you know, chapter verse where, you know, one will find that, but, but it does seem that this eternal state, um, you know, you, you read Revelation and you read 
um, that that there there's ongoing unrepentance, there's ongoing defiance, there's 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 th- that sort of thing. I I'm not aware that they continue to regress to become um, uh, what uh, more animal-like than human-like. Uh, um, I I don't I don't sense that. I don't I don't recognize that. Um, will there be infinite regression? Like in heaven, there's infinite progression. Uh, is there infinite progression in heaven, or or what does it mean when we are raised uh, with Christ and we have attained our glorified bodies? Uh, is that the end? Is there, you know? And and so these are these I think are, are are good questions to ask. It is speculative theology. That's not necessarily bad. But but you you enter into that realm with a little more humility, um, a little less um, certainty, I think. Uh, but 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 asking the questions is, is it's good it's right but but to then um, probably use some caution in speaking too definitively about some of those matters. Right. I just think it's um, it's it's it is interesting. We we can take the scripture and we can you know I mean obviously like you're right we have to be careful before we speculate but but to to really. I think in doing so, we are saying, hey, we're taking this really seriously. Yes. And yep. We want to help people understand, like, you will have an awareness that you are there and you will have yep. an awareness that you are, you are never leaving there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, the, the, the eternal, and, and, and I would say this, that, you know, um, so many today, Tim, are given to the ministries of compassion and justice. And you know what? It's it's good. It's right. It's 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 biblical to bi- biblical to do so. But but we as as believers give ourselves to that ministry not just because we care for people temporally, but because we care for people eternally. That is, we 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 care not just to meet needs of people, um, um, because God's grace has been given to us. And and we are one beggar telling another beggar where where we got the bread right, um, and and so we are committed to the ministries of compassion and justice, not and as, as an end in and of itself per se, but 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 we care for people, we love God, we love others, but ultimately we 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 care about them eternally, temporally and eternally. And I would say this. Um, um, most ministries that would engage in caring for ministries of compassion and justice, if that's an end in and of itself, they will they will receive kudos from from everybody. It's just sort of it's the thing today, right? But if you move on to say, let me let me tell you why we are engaged in this ministry because because we care for people temporally and eternally. Um, I'm not so sure that 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 others would be so so quick and ready to affirm what 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 you're what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we need to, and it goes back to, I think we need to be talking about this and we need to, I, I, it's not even just talk, it's, it's preaching about it and talking about it, but it's also incorporating the reality of it into the thrust of our ministries. Right. Yeah. Yep. Because it does need to, there, there needs to be an urgency in what we do because the today is not necessarily going to look like tomorrow. And, right. you know, there's going to be like every time they have a, you know, they say celebrities die in threes and they always have a running tab each year of all the celebrities that we've lost this year. You see this on news sites and it's like, like, you know, it's just this, it's just this constant reminder that, that there are people who are entering this world and are leaving this world and, and death is the rule, not the exception. And like, we have to come to grips with 
that and and make the case as faithfully as we can. But I think also what's important is doing it with a real sense of compassion. You know, the old saying of you should never t- speak about hell without tears in your eyes. And yeah. even even I remember Carson's admonition to not even joke, you know, like, you know, go to hell yep. and that kind of thing. It's like, that was really, that's like, wow, that's because you don't ever, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier. You don't want to reduce it at all. Even, even in joking about it, you're kind of just softening it just that much as opposed to having this total revulsion to the fact that it's there and that, that someone, you know, may go there. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. You know, there's a very helpful, and again, if someone reaches out to me, Tim, I'm glad to provide it, but there was a um, uh, an article, essay written by Jonathan Gibson um, uh, about the doctrine of hell, and it's a subtitle, Biblical, Theological, and Pastoral Perspectives on Hell. His first point is uh, on pastoral reflections. that He lists 10 of them. His first point is this, how we speak about hell. Hell should change the way we speak about hell. Reference to hell should not be flippant, and neither should it be used in an exaggerated way that goes beyond what the scripture teaches. And if there is a malicious joy in this life, I am not sure hell or my condition or Christ or grace is understood or grasped. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that needs to sink in. (laughs) It does. Um, And and he, he lists... He lists a number of others that are extremely helpful, and um, I'll be glad to forward this on to you. And if others want to, uh, but it was it's very helpful. Good reminders, good reminders to us, and good instruction as well. So, yeah. so on that, Greg. So, what are some what are some resources? And we'll we can put these. We'll put these on the in the description of the, in the podcast, but. Uh, we'll put links on there so people can pick those up. But what what have you written, and what uh, what other resources would you recommend people get a hold of so that they can do, so they can make sure they don't fall into that first step of what you were saying earlier, just the failing to address it or talk about it? Yeah. Um, I've got, you know, a list of uh, essays, articles and essays. Um, I'm not going to talk about those, uh, but I've, I've got them. Uh, there are a number of books. Uh, let me just list a couple of them. Uh, D.A. Carson uh, on banishing the lake of fire. Uh, and this is an, a chapter in The Gagging of God, uh, uh, Christianity Confronts Pluralism. Um, and uh, Michael McClymond, uh, uh wrote a two-volume uh, in uh, 2018 entitled The Devil's Redemption, A New History and Interpretation of Christian Universalism. It's, 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 uh, this has become a definitive work. And in, in essence, he refers to universalism and um, you know, variations of that as the opiate of the theologian, an wow. opiate of theologians, and put that into context of of uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher, the f- the father of modern theology, right? Uh, it, it's invaluable. Um, Christopher Morgan and Robert Peterson, I mentioned it earlier, Hell Under Fire, uh, Modern Scholarship Reinvents Eternal Punishment. You know, a, a book I've recommended, uh, it's a little booklet, 35 pages, um, the, that, that elders, pastors, uh, elders, uh, leaders read together, and it's entitled, What is Hell? It's it's uh, Basics of the Faith, uh, published by PNR, um, but it's it's really quite, gives you a very helpful overview, biblical and, and, and theological foundation. And if you want to go back, uh, 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 you know, uh, 150 years, William Shedd, uh, The Doctrine of Endless Punishment. It's a classic. It is a classic. 
Um, and then uh, don't don't overlook. Those are just a few. I've got many others, but those are just a few. Um, don't overlook uh, 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 some of the extremely helpful systematic theologies. You know, so for example, you get uh, um, uh, uh, Grudem, uh, systematic theology. Uh, he's got a chapter: the final judgment and eternal punishment. Um, you think of uh, Michael Horton, the Christian faith, um, the last battle and life everlasting. Um, you think of uh, Millard Erickson, Christian theology, uh, final states, John Frame, heaven and hell, uh, Norm Geisler, the final state of the lost. And, and he also has a very helpful chapter responding to annihilationalism. Uh, Michael Bird, uh, uh, evangelical theology, the final state, heaven, hell, and new creation in his theology. Or if you've got an older one, Louis Burkhoff, the final judgment and the final state, or Herman Bovink, uh, Reformed dogmatics, uh, the day of the Lord. Uh, or, you know, think of Greg Allison, uh, his historical theology, which he will look at this doctrine through history, as we mentioned earlier, Tim, uh, the final judgment and eternal punishment. And he will look at, at, at various stages of church history and look at various views and aberrations of of the uh, historic of, of the biblical and the historic view, so those are some systematic uh, theologies that I think would be worth our while to consider as well. Absolutely, and we'll we'll put some of those in the in the we'll, we'll pick out. But you gave us a ton of them, and then certainly I want to I, I want to go back to something that you said earlier about people being able to reach out to you. I think the thought that a lot of people have is you know you're in, you work in the national office, you're you're a very busy guy and. You know, well, Greg probably wouldn't have time to speak with me. But if somebody wanted to to engage with you on this more, are they welcome to do that? Yeah, please. I would I would be delighted. Uh, Greg dot strand at efca dot org. Um, and uh, I, uh, um, this is one of the important uh, aspects of of the ministry to which I've been called. Um, you know, if I, if I can't serve pastors and leaders in local churches uh, in this role, then I quit. Um, I, I'm going to go back to the front line, brother. Um, but um, And I'm in a supportive role, um, and I'm okay with that, uh, but I am delighted to to, to serve uh, our, our, our churches and pastors and leaders in this way. So yes, please uh, re- reach out, and I would be glad to, to provide some some resources and some guidance along the way. It's a huge reason why we want to do this podcast to make it available and just to have these conversations and then be able to provide that. Because if you can help a pastor and and you can help a church leadership team uh, think through and bolster their confidence in our orthodoxy and our statement of faith and have confidence to talk about these things, it will it will uh, set the tone for the future because I think once the like the when we talk about the doctrine of hell it's horrible it's terrible but once you really look at it we talk about eternal conscious punishment for what it is it does make sense it does hold up it, it it's not emotionally wonderful for us but but it's it, you at the end of the day you can't you you just can't um, you, you, you have to, you, you really, if you're gonna be honest, you have to accept it for what it is, I think at least. And we, but we need to have, like you said, these kind of conversations and we have to be able to bring this up so that we can stay rooted in that. And we don't start that subtle drift. Yes. Uh, I, I would agree absolutely and completely. Um, and you know, we didn't, we didn't spell out, you know, it, it, it's important, Tim, uh, for us in the EFCA, that it's not just embedded in our Article 10 of our Statement of Faith, but but you think about about um, uh, Article Article 1, 
um, where you have juxtaposition. God is infinitely perfect, and you and you you we list that He is holy and loving, holy and loving, infinitely perfect. And and, and in Article Three, we recognize that because of sin, we are under God's wrath. But then we say it's. It's, it's only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ that we can be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. And we think in Article 5 that, that Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, constitute the only ground for our salvation. And in, 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 in Article 8, we, we talk about, about, about caring for people, uh, of, of loving God supremely and others sacrificially and living out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. And friend, not just temporally but eternally. And in article nine, that, 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 that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And dear friend, that motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service and energetic mission. And then friend in article 10, we believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we say, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. So it's not just a phrase, my friend. It's embedded in a complete confession, a statement of faith that, that, that culminates in responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ with eternal implications, consequences for those decisions, those, those, those responses to the Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful way for us to, to conclude this time. And I would challenge everyone listening to this, especially if you're in a preaching role, to consider what Greg talked about and make sure that the whole counsel of God is being preached in your church to the flock that God has entrusted to your care. So that, for example, my challenge to you is in the next several months, if you haven't spoken about hell, and not, and again, not I think we can speak about hell f- f- very wrongly too by just saying it like, again, yes. flippantly, not just jokingly, but flippantly like, well, yes. you know, people go to hell. It's like, whoa, 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 stop there. Whoa, whoa, time out. What, what do you mean when you say that? What, what, yeah. Why? What does that look like? That's why we spent time. Dig into it a little bit because as you dig into it, not only does it become more more just interesting for, because people go, oh my gosh, like I didn't know yeah. that. You know, talk about the, the fact of a bodily resurrection. Talk about destruction w- without extinction. Talk about yeah. some of these things that, 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 that add kind of color to, to this very uh, bizarre idea to in a lot of people's minds because as you do that it does start to formulate and work its way into their soul the souls yeah. of your hearers and then they incorporate it into their whole understanding of who God is and and the, the final destination for yeah. one way or the other and I think that is how we serve our people yeah yeah let me if, if I could close in this because you mentioned it earlier and I'm going to close with this and then and then you know what I think brother it would be fitting for you to close our time in prayer uh, is that, would you be willing to do that I would. Yeah. So, so this is the conclusion of uh, a chapter written by Sinclair Ferguson, and it's entitled Pastoral Theology, the Preacher in Hell. And here's, here's what he writes. When Robert McShane met his dearest friend, Andrew Bonar, one Monday and inquired what Bonar had preached on the previous day, 
only to receive the answer, hell, he asked, did you preach it with tears? That we cannot do until we have come to recognize our own great need of grace to save us from the wrath to come, the terrible nature of that judgment, the provision that God has made for us in Christ, and the calling he has given us to take the gospel to every creature in the name of the one who did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Amen. Amen. Well, on that note, yeah, I think I think a subject like this uh, warrants us just to take a moment and and to pray. So, uh, yeah, let's do that. Father God, we are uh, we stand in awe of you, of your goodness, of your holiness, of the you're in you're in some sense your incomprehensibility, and yet the grace and that you would reveal yourself to us, and that you would reveal just enough so that we can depend on you for everything that we need. And as we have taken time um, to approach this topic. We've tried to do so with humility. We've tried to do so with um, with a great sense of of even worship of you and yeah. with awe in who you are. Uh, my prayer is that as as anyone listening to this, um, as they hear it, that they would take what is good, throw out what is what is not helpful, and whatever is your words would come through and that it would re- it would result that this podcast would result in more people coming to know you because mm-hmm. not just to avoid this place but because they genuinely can't imagine spending eternity apart from you that they want to be with you that they want to know all that that you have in store for them that they want to walk in eternity with their savior and I so I pray that that this this doctrine would serve to reignite uh, a sense of urgency and a sense of clarity in people's minds, in in the, in the minds of, of the and the hearts of the people in our churches, so that perhaps uh, we may um, we may yet see so many more come to know you in in our in our time that you have given to us. We are stewards of this message. I pray that we would steward it well. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Well, thank Thank you, you, Brother Tim. Thank you very much.